I'm glad you're here. We're glad you're here. And welcome to those who are online too, because this space we're creating together is one where we say intentionally, we are pausing to worship. Whatever has gone on in your life this week, you are choosing to worship. And you're choosing to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit speaking into your life. So I want to just invite you, if you would, just open your hands as we pray. We're asking God to take anything that you might be carrying into this place. Even if you're at home or at the office or in the car, just pause for a moment. And I invite you to take a deep breath in the presence of the living God. Because some of you have been working some intense days and this is just a moment to sit in the presence of your God. Our hearts are lifted up to you, God, in worship. And we are asking that you would settle us by your Holy Spirit's power. There are things in our life that are pulling us down, things that are making us feel like we're tossed about in oceans that rise and fall, but God, I pray that you would anchor us in this moment. I don't know the story of what each one is going through, but anchor us in your love, anchor us in your peace, anchor us in who we are in you. And we open our hearts now ready to receive ready to learn from the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This journey we've been taking in the book of Philippians is Paul in a space, a place where he doesn't want to be. He is under house arrest. He has gone through a lot, we know because he recorded it, he told us he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's gone through each of these things. His whole ministry was this series of things that could have taken, any one of them could have taken someone down. But here he is writing this letter to the church in Philippi and one of the primary themes of this letter is a three-letter word that maybe you need to remember today. Joy. Joy. He found joy in Jesus in the midst of what he was facing and he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi and he starts, you're on my heart. I thank God every time I remember you and I pray for you. And then he continues in verse six, he says that the one who started a good work in you will carry it to completion. Maybe you just need to remember this, that the unleashing of the creative power of God in your life is not finished. That God is at work and will finish what God started in you. And then where we were focusing this last week, that in striving together in this life together that we're called to, that there are things external to us that these pressures press in. And there are things internal to us that are pressures. And the more we are unified internally, the more we can be fortified externally. So he calls the church to press in together, to treat each other in these particular ways. And this this very section that we're focusing on today is the reason we're able to. This very place in Philippians chapter two is the impetus, the focus, the carrying us along, why, behind why we are able to do that. 
He says, I want you to have this same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. He says, I want you to be able to love in these particular ways. I want you to be able to show up with each other in this way. And this is the why. So he draws on this ancient hymn, a creed, a song. Philippians chapter two, verse five in your Bible likely looks a little bit different. It's even written different in the scriptures to designate this was likely a hymn or a creed. And he draws on these words, this language, this song of praise to refocus the people of God. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, amen. Here he is sharing these words, um, admonishing the Philippian church to be humble, to be unified, to be unselfish in their relationships with each other His concern isn't merely about their attitude. He does want them to have the attitude of Christ, but he says your attitude should translate to your action. You've heard this, right? Maybe a parent said this to you. I don't just care what you you know up there that yeah, you respect me, but I wanna see it. I wanna see you act in that particular way. And so he says this expression in concrete terms in your day-to-day life matters. Because it's how, life with Christ is how you show up with your mom or your dad, your brothers or your sisters, your neighbors and your coworkers. It's not just an attitude in your head, it's how we act in our lives. I'd like your help for a moment, if you could. I, I, one of my favorite authors used this as an illustration in his book and I thought it was really great. I'd like you to describe for me a city bus. Could you describe for me we don't have much, many, many bus riders here, but describe for me, what is a, what is a city bus? Words, descriptors. Okay, what else? Fee, okay. What's the experience of riding? Tell me about the experience of riding on a city bus. That's, okay. What else? That was like all at once, I'm sorry. Slow, okay. All right, what else? Distant, quiet, sometimes you wish it was quiet, but it's not. Uncomfortable. It's a sacrifice to ride. 
empty in Loma Linda. <laughs> I think that's very particular to this area. <laughs> Shared. Shared. Yeah. Well, that's uh, two or three or four. I heard a lot of people saying that, so. Sightseeing, you take in watch, people watching, sightseeing? Oh, sightseeing, watching the sights, yeah, there you go. Disconnected. Someone else? So it's not, it's a second choice? Oh, so it's like your last choice. You don't have a car, so you have to go on the bus. It's the future. <laughs> the future. There you go. That's my husband. Um, for the purposes of this, though. Reliable. Reliable. Well, good. There you go. You think of others in this way. Often we think of others in the way that we describe a city bus, right? They're strangers, they're dirty, they're slow, they're smelly times five. Distant, quiet, last choice, future, <laughs> that's you. Disconnected, that we can take in the sights, people watch, watch the road, shared, empty, sacrifice, uncomfortable. It really depends on who we are, how we experience those things. We come with our own perspective and we come with who we are, and who we are shapes how we experience others. But here he's saying, Paul is saying, I want you to have in your attitude the same attitude Christ Jesus had. We don't often come and approach each other with that same attitude, do we? No, you're other. Keep your distance, you're a stranger, you're other, you're someone else. We keep each other in that category. And I quote, an attitude, however, is abstract and remains unknown until expressed in some concrete way. We don't always know what our attitudes are until we observe our behavior, our actions. But sometimes when we observe our own behavior, we can be frustrated by how we end up othering each other. We don't end up always with the same attitude of mind in, as Christ Jesus had in our relationships with each other. Words are a really big deal. There's great power in words. And Christ in this section that we just read did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. The word here in Greek is that he did not consider equality with God something to be snatched, something to be grasped, something to be seized violently or held onto. He did not consider his equality with God as something that he would hold onto for his own advantage. What this is saying is that Christ could have done all sorts of things with his divinity. Christ had divine nature, he was God. And yet, he didn't grab onto it or grasp it or seize it as something for himself. Jesus teaches us that just because you have the right, he was God, doesn't mean you exercise it. 
Paul has learned from Christ what he says in 1 Corinthians 10.33, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. He urges them constantly throughout his letters, follow my example as I'm following the example of Jesus, as I'm learning this new way of living and new way of being in the world. But this idea of grasping, this idea of holding on to things for ourselves, is so in us from the beginning. We're born with this. We seem to be in that mindset from the beginning. We're climbing a ladder. We're in a rat race. We're trying to do these things to get ahead. From the day you enter this world, essentially we say to you, whatever strength, whatever power, whatever might, use it for yourself. Go after it. And Paul is saying the the mindset of Jesus was completely different. The mindset of Jesus was you could hold on to it for yourself, but instead you release it for the other. Christ could have used his connection with the living God to get ahead to be number one, to be the best, just as the world teaches. But he emptied himself. He emptied himself for the sake of others. Paul said even um, these words, he said, this is so different from the way the world does this. And it showed up in Jesus' words, the Gentiles do it this way, seizing and grasping. But you do it a different way. In the world, there's violence to get ahead, but Jesus said to Peter, put down your sword. The Gentiles do it like this, but I call you to do something different. Serve each other, love each other. One commentary puts it this way, although he had access to all the privilege and power to which his identity with God entitled him, And although he could have exploited the privilege and power to dominate his creatures, Jesus entered his deity, considered his deity an opportunity for service and obedience. His deity became a matter of not getting but giving, not served but serving, not dominance but obedience. Everything that you see around you, all of the ways that you interact automatically in your work, Christ was opposite to that. He did a different thing. He lived by a different way and he invited the people of God to live in that different way as well. Self-emptying, kenosiosis. There's a lyric in a song by David Crowder Band and it says, you are the antonym of me. I love that line in that song that he's the opposite. Whatever it is, whatever picture you have from the way that you go about your life or the way that you see life around you, He's the opposite of that. Our God, our mysterious God, this is what our God is like. The Father serves the Son. The Son serves the Spirit. The Spirit serves the Father. There's this harmony and love that is in the Trinity. Our God isn't about defeating and dominating, crushing and oppressing. Our God serves each other. And the reason we're invited into it is because our God is in this loving, harmonious relationship and we are invited to do the same. These ways, these expressions, these persons of the Godhead serve each other in endless unity and love. They give, they serve. Other gods at the time, especially Roman gods that the people were exposed to from the church in Philippi, they dominated, they ruled, but only our God knows how to suffer and give. The ultimate expression of God is laying down God's life in Jesus Christ. Endless, 
sacrificial love displayed in this marvelous act. It's not an angry God killing Jesus. It's God saying, I will sacrifice myself for you. It's love that wins the day. People followed Roman gods out of terror. They didn't want to get hurt. They wanted to have the things align with the right God so that they would have better lives. They didn't want the abuse or the fear or the terror that followed them. Don't get on those gods' bad side. But we follow Jesus Christ because he captures our hearts. Another worship song I listened to this week several times that I love, How He Loves, that we're drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. There's no fear. We don't follow God out of fear, but we follow God because he has captured our hearts. Maybe you need to remember that the voice in your head, the one that says maybe you aren't as loved if you don't do things in a particular way, that that's not your God. That's someone else. This love, who's, this one who's wooing you came and emptied himself and sacrificed himself because God couldn't imagine life without you. I love this story that one pastor told. It's a parable uh, of a mighty king of Denmark. I have some ancestry there, so I think I liked the place too. But he was going through and visiting all the villages and the territory where he reigned and ruled. And so as he was going around, he stayed in one particular village for a while and he watched this woman and he was struck with her. You know how when you know, you just know. And he watched how she interacted with the rest of the community and with her family and how she loved people and how she led, how she was around people. It was just so captivating and he said, I, Oh, I am so drawn to her. He got back to where he was reigning from and he told his counselors, he said, I want you to go get her and bring her back so that I can get to know her and she can fall in love with me too and we can get married. And they said, so sorry, king, but that won't work. Well, why? Well, you're king. We ride in on horses and there's dust flying and trumpets and we announce your arrival and you will never, ever know if she's just afraid of you or if she really loves you. And he said, well, then my only option is to go get to know her and become like her. And so he took off his robes and he dressed himself in common garment and he rode on a plain and simple horse into her village and started living there and getting to know her and her family and they fell in love. And when she, he told her he's king, he said, I knew that you could never love me unless I joined you and you could see me for who I am and I could see you for who you are. And our Jesus, Paul says, laid aside far more. He laid aside privilege beyond what we could even picture. Laid aside everything. He said he did not consider it something to hold on to, but because of love was willing to take it off, lay it aside to woo us in love becoming like us. I don't think we have any idea what God put aside, set aside in order to come and join us where we are to woo us to love. But God did all of that and more beyond what we could even ask or think or imagine or picture because of love for us. So Paul says he emptied himself and he even became obedient to death 
death on the cross. So you have to understand what our God is like. You have to understand that this God was willing to take off his robe, he was willing to take off his ring, he was willing to take off his crown, he was willing to take off and put aside everything to become somehow human and God equal with us in order to woo us to love. That's why this song, this hymn, this creed is so powerful. It reminds us that any love that we have in our lives, it comes from this source. Any way that we live differently in the world, in our workplace or in our home, it's because of this, because of Jesus, because of how he lived. Jesus was committed to love all the way. He was obedient and his obedience led to his death. You know, the small things matter. The small obedience in the next thing and the next thing. We'd like to be do it in the big things, like God, I'll follow you wherever. You ask me to do this and I'll do it. I'll move to another country. I'll do this, I'll give away everything. And Jesus is like, will you just do the next faithful thing? Will you do that next small thing? Because for Jesus, it, the death on the cross, that was the big thing and the resurrection and all that came after, but it was the faithfulness in each step the faithfulness in each part that led towards that. So he's saying it's the small steps, it's the small things. When you play a sport, it's the small skills, the repetitive skills, the muscle memory that you build up in doing those things. Or when you're leveling up on a video game, you have to get those skills that you need in order to go to the next place. God says, can you be faithful in the small things? Because Jesus was faithful, he was obedient. And then he says, even unto death. He was obedient daily in the small things, in the next steps, in the right things, and then ultimately to death on the cross. So he invites us to live mastering each small step, each obedience that Jesus is calling us to. You know what's really interesting in this passage here? That in killing Jesus, the world assumed that they had made a victim out of him. The world assumed that this was the last that they would hear of Jesus, and yet the strange thing is that executing Jesus actually inspired the greatest movement of love. That in killing him, this entire movement of people was empowered to rise up and to treat each other differently. That people scratch their heads and say, what? You treated that person like that after they did that to you at work? Or you still keep showing up loving your neighbor? I can't understand. You're empowered by this divine love. Power over death. Jesus doesn't play the victim. He gives his life and then he rises from the dead and then he returns full of glory. You see, Paul says, you can put me into prison. You can put me under house arrest. You can beat me just one lashing short of death. I can be shipwrecked. You can put me on these trials when you know that I didn't do any of these things, but it won't define me. What ends up happening with people is sometimes bad things start to happen to us and it ends up defining us. We let it define us. We say we can't do this or that because they did this to me. And it begins, it becomes our narrative. But Paul says this didn't define me. Obviously sometimes we are the victim and Paul was victim. You could understand that from all that he was facing. He didn't deserve it. He was preaching Jesus. Why is this happening to me? He could have cried. But instead, Paul says, you don't have to let events or decisions of others shape and define you. Jesus experienced all of this, and yet, he was God, and he chose this. Jesus 
in the gospel frees us to not be passive recipients of what happens in our lives, but instead to be free, to be humble, and to love as he did. I marvel at our God. I marvel at what our God is able to do. I'm blown away that our God is able to take humiliation and to turn it into exaltation. That God takes the darkest of nights and turns it into light. That my God takes chains and makes them into freedom. That we look at the awful and we do have to name it and see it for what it is, but even there, there's sparkle around the edges because God is always, always working for more than what we can see. Wherever you are today, I want to invite you to trust something bigger is going on. Like Paul, to not let it define us, but instead to allow us to witness that God is still bringing wholeness and healing and love and strength in your life. That with God, the darkest nights can become the light of day. So Jesus, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He humbled himself, even becoming obedient to death, suffering death on the cross. He gave up all of his privileges. He gave up everything so that we could experience the love of God, so that we could be free. It's automatic. We start to tune our lives to the things and the people around us. But just like people who tune instruments tell me that you don't tune a piano to another piano, you use a tuning fork, you come along and you use something external to that instrument to tune it. We cannot allow our lives to be tuned to the people around us and how others act. We must remember the example of Jesus Christ and tune our lives to Jesus. He's different than the ways of the world. We must not tune our lives to the things around us, but to tune our lives to the hymn of grace and sacrifice, this perfect song of God's love, this God who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but instead humbled himself, even to the point of death on the cross. Paul says the hallmark of our lives should be this, giving rather than getting, service rather than being served, obedience rather than dominance. That how we experience the endless love of God then pours out into our relationship with our brothers and sisters, our spouses, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. That through that example of Jesus, our life overflows in love. There are people like one that I met two weeks ago and was talking to, and they said that they always read the last chapters of a book. As they're reading the book, they have to know where it's going. Now, I do not relate to that. I don't do that with like real books or stories, but I do the equivalent with movies uh, because I do need to know. I asked Caleb, like, does it turn out well? Because I do not have the emotional bandwidth for someone to be killed that I've just gotten attached to on the screen. Like, no one needs that. We do that enough. Like, no, some of you do, and bless you. But I need to know it's going to turn out okay. So he's my filter. Is it going to turn out okay because I don't want to invest otherwise? We know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. We know the end of the story, and I want to remind you what it is. That therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. 
In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. That's where we're going. No matter what you're facing right now, that's where we're going. That's the climax, that's the ultimate that we are gonna be bowed down before Jesus, worshiping Jesus, that the shalom, the peace of God that God intended for us to live within, that is something that God is going to restore and renew all things. That's where we're going. So no matter what you're facing today, I wanna remind you that that is the end of the story. And you can live into that reality now. You can live because you know where this story is ending. We are called to a Jesus way a way that isn't like the world, a way where the endless love we experience overflows into the lives of others, giving rather than getting, serving rather than being served, obedience rather than dominance, for this is the way of Jesus.